Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name's Ian Smith. I'm Senior Minister at Billericay Baptist Church, and uh, uh, welcome to this uh, service this morning. Uh, we've missed you, and uh, hopefully you've missed us. I've been on this enforced sabbatical and uh, finding my way back gradually, but I did want to say thank you from Andrew and myself for all the cards, the prayers, uh, the concern, the things that have been left on our doorsteps, specifically things with chocolate. Um, we're really, really grateful, and um, we feel very much loved and cared for. So a slow return back, part of which is preaching this morning, which I've been really looking forward to. Um, I don't know how uh, you've been approaching these services. Maybe you're used to sitting up in the balcony, so you have your computer at the bottom of the stairs and you're sitting at the top of the stairs. I've got that kind of picture in my head. Uh, Maybe you're someone who comes early, 15 minutes early, half an hour early to pray. Great, you've been logged on for a while yet. Or maybe you're one of the stragglers, in which case just press pause, leave it five minutes and you can pretend you're late. But whatever it is, welcome. And I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to uh, bring God's word to us this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for these times together, strange as they are. Uh, But we thank you that you're the God that never changes. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in these, um, these strange times, we pray we remember that, Lord, and remember that we put our faith and our trust in you. And as we open your word now, I pray, Lord, Spirit of God, Make it alive in our hearts and in our minds. Help us to be changed. So be with us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, yeah, strange times. Um, I guess, you know, you're sick to death of hearing the challenges of COVID-19. We're all living, uh, we're all living that out, and uh, we've found it challenging. I'm sure you have as well. Uh, challenges of what church is uh, during COVID-19. Challenges of even what being church is in COVID-19. And it's been, I have to say, from the sidelines, uh, really encouraging to see uh, the team uh, that I think have done really well. They've had to learn new skills, uh, new competencies. You don't get training at Spurgeon's for this. um, And they really seem to have done a good job, as have the whole leadership, uh, elders, deacons, trustees, and indeed church members and congregation. Everybody has had to adapt. But I guess um, it's true to say that it's been uh, quite a time, uh, quite a time where you could have had a bit of a wobble, uh, dare I say it, uh, speaking from experience. But uh, difficult circumstances do hit us, and uh, we do get opposition and things not going quite right in our lives. And I wanted to talk about that a bit this morning. It can affect us uh, spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. And the only the answer to all of those things is only found in one person. That's God. Himself. And I want to talk uh, this morning and felt led to talk this morning about a faith that is determined and resilient, a one that can stand uh, the test. You may get knocked back, you may have to pick yourself up, but it stands the test of time. Faith that is determined and resilient. So, in these difficult circumstances, um, really want to open up, and I'm looking at uh, the person of Nehemiah, mainly Nehemiah chapter 4. Um, to see how this fellow uh, really responded to challenges in his ministry, uh, challenges in his faith, and who did he draw his strength from, and what was the outcome. So we're going to look at that uh, this morning as well. A bit of context before I dive in. Around 586 BC, Jerusalem uh, fell to the Babylonians, and the majority of the population of the kingdom of Judah was taken into exile. This uh, shouldn't have been a surprise. It was prophesied by Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and the people then regarded it as the judgment of God 
on a people that had consistently shown themselves to be unfaithful and disobedient. And then this is a timely reminder for us, isn't it, that God is a God of love. Jesus uh, has died for us, that we can have a relationship with God. He sends his spirit to us so we can know him from the inside in our hearts as well as our minds. Um, but we don't want to mock God. And sometimes God will send judgment, and, but it's for our own good. It's to bring us back closer to him. And this is where they found themselves in these, time, uh, these times. 539 BC, the Babylonian Empire was taken over by the Persians and the Persian emperor allowed many of the exiled people, the people that had been scattered, to return to their homeland. And uh, this included a number of Jews who returned to Jerusalem. And they started work on a temple. But they had local opposition. The work kind of ground to a halt. Uh, fresh impetus was given to that task by the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. And it resulted in the completion and dedication of the temple in 520 BC. And then, interestingly, we have about 70 years of silence, which almost nothing is known of the conditions in Jerusalem. There may have been an attempt at some point to rebuild the walls, but if there was, it came to nothing, and we don't know about it. And this is where Nehemiah comes in, who is presented in the Bible, along with Ezra, as working under the direct orders of the Persian administration. And the story begins in chapters 1 and 2, We hear how Nehemiah learns that the walls of Jerusalem have not been rebuilt and he's really not happy. Let me read uh, 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 the beginning of chapter 1 to you. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was the citadel of Susa, Hanai, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that has survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So he's asking, you know, how's it going? Something that we'd say to someone if we bumped into them. How's things are? How is the homeland? And, and their response troubles him. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. He said, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations, which of course he had done. Verse 9, But if you return to me, and obey my commands, then, even if your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for for their name, for his name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servants success today by granting him favour in presence of this man. Who's he talking about? And then it comes uh, the last part of that passage. I was cupbearer to the king by way of explanation why I need uh, God before I talk to this man. His distress is so obvious that eventually the king, who he's cupbearer to, which means he was trusted, uh, he was considered loyal, he was invaluable, and the king would have commanded loyalty. It meant it was risky business 
to ask the king to leave. He was taking a chance with his life. It could have been seen as an act of betrayal, but he's prayed, as you've just heard, and God gives him boldness. And leap into chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artexis, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I'd not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, "Why, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, it's almost like he's trying to butter him up here, isn't it? May the king live forever. He's starting with some good stuff. May the king live forever. But then he says, why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? It says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. Can you imagine the moment? The king has just said, well, what do you want then? You know, I'm a cupbearer, you're trusted, you're loyal. You know, and then you said all this stuff about why you're so sad, and now the king's coming with the question, what is, what is, what is Nehemiah going to do? Does he tell him he's going to leave, or, or what's it going to be? And he says, then I pray to the God of heaven. You can imagine a bit of a silence at this point. But then he answers. So it must have been a bullet prayer. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favour in his sight, and then he gives a first ask. Just hold on to that in a minute. Remember, he's prayed, and really all he wants to do is get... Uh, get over there and rebuild these these walls. So he has his first ask. Let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. And then I would imagine there was a pregnant pause. The king's looking at him and he's looking at the king. What's he going to do? Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, well, how long will your journey take and when will you be back? It pleased the king to send me. So I set the time. So he's given him a, a time, an idea of how long he'll be. But now it looks like Nehemiah's got more courage. He's going above and beyond what he set out to ask for. He then goes, verse 7, I also said to him, now he's asking for something more. If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. I would imagine the king saying, I've just let him go. And now he's asking for something more. And then Nehemiah doesn't leave it there. He has a third ask. Oh, while we're here, may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park? So he will give me timber and make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. He did more. He did more than he originally expected. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. And then we get this extra bit in verse 9. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. So he got things he didn't even ask for. And then it says, when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I want to talk about a determined and a resilient faith. A faith that's determined and resilient, you can write this down, a faith that's determined and resilient is a faith that can change circumstances. God's word in Ephesians 3, 14 onwards is as much for us today as it was for that church in Ephesus uh, then. And Paul was passionate about uh, people knowing their identity in Christ. Listen to this. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people 
to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. God, for Nehemiah in that situation, did more than he could ask or imagine. He got more than he asked for. But he was a man of prayer. He went to God in prayer. And Paul, in Ephesians 3, he says in verse 20, Now to him he is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Is it that we don't ask enough or imagine enough? Imagine the power of God that lives in us. So a faith that's determined and resilient is a faith that can change circumstances. A faith that is determined and resilient is a faith that will come against opposition sometimes. And that's where you need the resilience. And this is, again, uh, we get lessons from Nehemiah. Remember uh, verse 10 of the passage I read uh, from chapter 2 of Nehemiah. When Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. So they're not happy, they're disturbed, they're really not happy. And most of chapter 3 of Nehemiah concerns itself with who's doing what. He's, Nehemiah's getting them all organised, who's doing what jobs uh, in regards to rebuilding. Then we move into chapter 4 and the actual rebuilding, where they face more opposition, more ridicule, more negativity. Um, and so I'm just going to uh, read uh, this passage. Well, I'm going to read all of uh, Nehemiah 4. And then we're going to just uh, open it up and see what lessons uh, we've got. So here we go. So we know they're annoyed. This is how it starts. When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. So he's not just angry, he's, he's really, really angry. He's greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates... In the army of Samaria, it was a fair number of people, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? So he's angry, he's incensed, and there he's mocking. Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? The, 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 it was probably quite desolate, and rocks and stones and the ruins uh, all, all there, and the, and the task seeming impossible. So straight away there's discouragement. And then Sambalat gets some of his mates to chip in. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. And then Nehemiah, he's getting, he's, he's, he knows about this discouragement. And, and once again, he turns to God. Verse 4, hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. For they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So he's, he's facing the opposition, he's prayed against it, and then he gets on with it. Verse 6, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But that upset the others. Verse 7, but when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod, so it's a fair number of people again, heard that the repairs to Jerusalem walls had gone ahead, that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. So we've had angry, we've had very angry, we've had incensed. It's, it's gradually building. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God. Once again, he turns to God in prayer and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Verse 10, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the labourers is given out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. 
Also our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right among them and we will kill them and put an end to the work, how things have escalated. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords and spears and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows and armour. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked, but the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. And then I said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. Well, why the opposition? There's so much opposition in that passage. Sambalat was the governor of Samaria. Uh, relations had been pretty poor uh, between the people of God and, uh, and the Samaritans because when the Samaritans offered to help them when they first uh, the exiles had first returned, they'd refused their help. So there's a bit of angst going around. And effectively, once the wall would have been built around Jerusalem, it would have removed, it would have removed the people of God from the jurisdiction of Samaria. So there's political and power uh, things happening in the background. So there's this opposition. Um, but another one to write down, a determined and resilient faith is, is, can stand under pressure. They've got the abuse, the mocking, the threats, the discouragement. Verse 1 to 11, he's got it from Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the men of Ashdod, we've heard why. Verse 1, Sambalat is angry, uh, and, and then even more, he's greatly incensed. Verse 7, we're told they're very angry, uh, they're not getting their own way. In verse 8, they're going to stir up trouble. Verse 11, before they know it or see us, we will kill them. See how it's escalated from being a bit annoyed but because of the perseverance, there is an enemy that comes against the work of God. And whenever we're taking ground as Christians, whether it's physical, could be planting a church or, or being part of SMB or a minister going into a school, um, uh, anything like that, anything, any kind of evangelism, uh, alpha, or you see new converts or we have baptisms, we, we often face opposition. Uh, and that opposition can be spiritual, it can be mental, and it can be physical, and it can be all three or one of any of them. Because the Bible's clear of us. We have an enemy that does not want to see a furthering of the kingdom of God. In fact, he's probably liking a lot of what's going on around the world at the moment. And the church stands against him in the power of Christ. But we are told that the enemy prowls like a roaring lion seeking those to devour. He'll try and attack us in many ways. And Nehemiah was getting attacked from all fronts, 
the enemy doesn't want people to have a relationship with God, to have a destiny with God. He wants you lost for the rest of your life. He wants to pick you off. He doesn't want good things for you. His aim is to seek, kill and destroy. And Jesus' aim is to uh, rescue, bring into the kingdom, heal. He's also, Nehemiah, facing lack of confidence from his own people. This word cannot gets mentioned. Uh, verse 10, the people in Judah said, the strength of the labourers is given out and there is so much rubble, we cannot rebuild the wall. And then he gets some more of his own people, verse 12, then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, I mean, they're having a real go at him, wherever you turn, they will attack us. See, sometimes our problems do seem insurmountable and sometimes we can lose confidence and faith in our abilities, but with God we can achieve so much more. And here, Nehemiah, I believe because he's such a man of prayer, such a man of relationship with his God, his face, when he faces uh, this criticism or the word cannot, even from his own people, he knows what to do, he knows how to respond. He knows the situation around him is quite desperate. He's got a job to do. He believes, it, believes it's of God. He's took a chance already. It would have took him a long time to travel there. He's organised people, he's ready to lead, he's praying, but he's getting it from all sides. And I wonder what you would do uh, if you was in his shoes. I wonder what I would do. Uh, things, words that come to my mind would be panic and discourage, quit, run, uh, give it up. All these things come to mind. But let's look what he does. The first thing is something that as, we, as you read the book of Nehemiah, you'll find it runs all the way through. And it's utter reliance on God. And Nehemiah is a, a man of prayer. And a determined and resilient Christian must be a praying Christian. If you're trying to get through this life and you're trying to have a relationship with God and you're not communicating in relationship, it's not going to work. You're going to fall into the trap of doing things in your own strength and eventually that's burnout. With the power of God within you and drawing on him as source, there's so much more. But a determined and resilient Christian must be a praying Christian. There are no shortcuts. Chapter 1 Nehemiah needs to tell the king, he's not sure how he's going to approach him, he prays. Chapter 2, the king asks him what he wants. There's a pause, this is a life and death thing he's about to say. Nehemiah prays a quick bullet prayer and then gives him a list of what he wants. He adds to what he wants. Chapter 4, verse 4, when he faces opposition, he prays. Uh, Verse 8 and 9, when facing trouble, he says, but we pray to our God. You're never going to come uh, to me and confess that you're praying too much. Uh, No one does that. Uh, My prayer life... Uh, I have my own quiet times, but very much conversational as I go throughout the day. But I've got to, I've got to check myself as well. I've had space and time to do that. Uh, and any relationship needs cultivating. And I need, to, I need to ask myself, and all of us have to ask ourselves, are we paying our prayer life, our spiritual life, the secret life with God, enough attention? Um, because where the enemy likes to pick us off is to make us, I believe, really busy. And one of the benefits of lockdown, I know not for everybody, but some people have found more space and more of a rhythm of life, Uh, not so tied to a clock. And there is this sort of time and business culture, um, and, and, and within that, we've got to find a way. You've got to find a way to have that time with God. You've got to go away and be with him. Uh, you've got to speak to him. You've got to sit there and listen. A book, uh, I've read loads of books uh, while I've had this sort of downtime. One of them, which I'd recommend to you, uh, by John Mark Comer, directing it to the ministry team, they're reading it. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. How to Stay Emotionally Healthy and Spiritually Alive in the Chaos of the Modern World. It's an excellent book. I'm on my second reading of it at the moment. 
Um, and it really is saying that we can't get away. Of course we're going to be busy. Of course there's things to do. But you cannot neglect the devotional life. We have to be close to God. And Nehemiah was, was definitely that. It came to mind the parable. You know, a parable is a story that Jesus tells to make a point. And the parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18, um, he tells this story. And I like it because it's a contrast between a harsh judge and, and a God who is for us. And, and he says that, it says this, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. All she wants is justice. She's asking the judge to do his job. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the contrast for me is the judge is annoyed, even though she's got a legitimate complaint, because the widow is bothering him. She's bothering him. And eventually she gets away. And contrastingly, we have a God and we probably don't bother him enough. He wants to be bothered. He wants us to talk to him. He wants us to speak. He wants to speak to us through in our thoughts and our minds and through the word of God. The judge didn't want to hear but your God does. We must be people of prayer. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. And look at the effect it had when everything around him was looking pretty hopeless and a lot of discouragement. He was calm. It could have been said, you know, he could have been falling to pieces, but he wasn't. In verse 14 it said, amidst all this commotion, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to nobles, can you imagine him? He's there, they're all moaning, and ten times they're going to find us, and we can't do it, we haven't got the manpower, look at the mess, we're going to kill you, we're angry, we're very angry, we're really incensed, all these things. And you imagine just sort of just standing up, and just looking around, but he's been close to God. And he says, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, so basically everybody, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. He reminds, like any good leader should, of their reliance on God, but also the power of God, God the deliverer. I don't know what the future holds for the church. I love what uh, what people have been doing. Uh, there's been benefits to lockdown, but there's a lot of negatives as well. We're not meeting the same way we'd like to. Um, but I don't know the church's future. I don't know my personal future. Um, but I'm someone who likes all the answers. I, I, I like to know where we're going, how we're going to get there. And the fact is, we've been put in an environment where we don't know. And I found that that means that God has been teaching me in this time of utter reliance on him. Because I, I don't know the future. It means I've got to trust him. I've really got to give myself over to him. Totally rely on him. Walk with Jesus, abiding in him. Not just doing things for him but abiding in him. It's been able to rise above everything, like Nehemiah did, because he was a man of prayer. Paul, Paul uh, alludes to this in Philippians 4. I have a read of it later on, where he says, The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You know, as you know, I've been through a bit of a battle and uh, there were some dark moments where I thought, oh, am I going to get out of this? How can I get back? 
And, and that was my, my concern. I, I, it, things didn't seem to be getting better, and uh, I was truly scared. And, and uh, it got to a point, uh, you know, I was just done, emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually. And so when you're in that state, you can only cling on to God. That was the only thing. He was the only thing. And so I prayed a prayer. And I had some time in the garden, I had my Bible out, and I prayed a prayer, and I said, look, if you need me to lay this down, I will. I don't want to, uh, I don't think that's what you want, but I don't understand what's happening, and, and uh, I don't like it. And, um, and I spent this time with him, and I asked him to speak to me. In a way, uh, God can speak in many ways. One of the main ways is through his word, and, and I tend to, if it's my devotional time, not getting ready for a sermon or anything like that, I tend to, uh, whatever I'm reading, I'll read until I hear or believe I hear that God has spoken to me, then I stop. I don't carry on, I stop, and then I meditate on what I believe he said. And at the time, I was reading Philippians, and I'd only just started, and I got to uh, Philippians 1 verse 6. Uh, He who started a great work in you will see it through uh, to completion. And it leapt out at me, and I went in, I said to Andrew, no, God's not finished with me, there is a future. Um, He's really spoke, that really, really spoke to me. I stopped and I went, I meditated on that for, for the next few days. The very next day, a uh, kind church member sent me a card. There was a bit of an essay in the card and full of encouragement and they put one verse in there. It was Philippians 1 verse 6. Um, you know, there's thousands of verses in the Bible. Um, and then I thought, well, you know, I'm a minister. I should be able to cope with stuff. I should, what, why is this happening? I'm not used to this. It's never happened before. Um, you know, I just don't know what's going on, and and am I a good minister because of it? And um, I'm a friend of Spurgeon's College, the Baptist College where I trained, and they uh, uh, contact. I think it was on Facebook. There was a contact of 24 hours with Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He was a, a preacher uh, a few hundred years ago who founded the college, and uh, basically they'd get someone for an hour for 24 hours, so 24 people to say something about Spurgeon's life. They would look at an aspect of Spurgeon's life. And I noticed on Facebook that Rick Warren from Saddleback Church in America was taking one of them. I thought, well, I like Rick Warren. I think I'll I'll have a look at that. And I'd ask God, you know, had he finished for me? I've got the verse. And I'd also ask God, well, should I be doing this? What sort of minister am I if, if I'm going through this time, this very dark time? This can't be right. And, 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 Rick, I get, I, I log on to the thing, Rick Warren starts speaking, and his opening line, and, and I've just prayed, you know, God, can you show me if you're saying something? And his opening line was, uh, I'm going to take uh, an era of Spurgeon's life that probably most people don't talk about. I'm going to look at it, the magazine he used to produce, The Sword and the Trowel, and I'll look at his own writings, uh, lectures to my students, and everything else. And what I'm going to talk about is the mental and depressive state of Charles Haddon Spurgeon who suffered throughout his ministry and it was like a weight was lifted off my shoulders and he spoke for an hour of the challenges of ministering of life in general and uh, how ministers do do struggle uh, sometimes of which I can now uh, relate to uh, also how Spurgeon would have to take time off he even made himself vulnerable and said in the second year of Rick Warren's ministry he had to take months off because uh, he hit a real low point and doubted everything. And it was like a release. But this came about because of prayer. This came about because rather than try and sort it out my own, I was in despair and had nowhere to go. So I went to God, who wants me to bother him, and he listened and he answered. And then I could say, right, okay, uh, it will be okay. I will see it through. There is turmoil around me. There's turmoil around you. But God is God and he is there. So... Just to really begin to end, what can we learn for us today? 
or the world around us, there is, there is turmoil, there are wars, there are starving people. There shouldn't be, but there are. There's murder, there's job culture, there's pandemics, there's an attack on the word of God. There's an attack on the church. Some of the church is in conflict. Some families are in conflict. But in the middle of all that, we have to go along with Nehemiah and say, remember, when everyone else is panicking, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. He said, don't be afraid, didn't he? In verse 20, he said, Wherever, whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. We can't fix all the problems. I couldn't even fix myself, but I had to hand everything over to God. And sometimes in the depths of despair, all we can say is, God is with me. He won't let me go because his word that I trust, that the enemy wants to try and undermine, says, never will I leave you or forsake you. And I've hung on to that recently, in the depths of despair, or the dark night of the soul, or the desert time, or whatever you want to call it. Remember the God we serve. He is in control He is faithful. When I look back over my life and my ministry, I can see so many times when God was there and at the time I didn't think he was, even this latest thing. Finally, write this one down as well. Determined Christians make a determined church. You're not on your own. That's something Andrew and I have realised. People in this passage, Nehemiah 4, came together to help with the work. Church, the people of God, the ecclesia, we work at it together. Uh, if you look at verse 21 uh, in that passage, usually work would stop at sunset. They worked until the stars came out. They worked shifts. There was teamwork. They were determined. They were earnest in what they were doing. And I'm so grateful for the team of people around me and my family. Um, I've, it's been brilliant to see the way churches and the team had to adapt, had to improvise. They've had to be determined and resilient. And that's from the ministers and elders and deacons, trustees, congregation, members. All of us have had to learn new things and new ways of being. But I wanted to say, where I was so encouraged is, is remember what, what, what Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't put any question on that. He describes himself as the light of the world elsewhere. And we get this description. But you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And before this lockdown, we were looking at ministry on the front line. And I have to say, I think lockdown's probably pushed us in that direction more than maybe I could have ever done. Because actually, we are looking after our neighbour. We are making the phone calls. We have been doing the shopping for people. We've been picking up prescriptions. We've just said hello. We've put an arm around people. We've encouraged youngsters. Uh, Salt and light in the communities where you are, not just in the building on a Sunday, Uh, You've often heard it said, the church's doors may be closed, but the church is open because the church is a people of God, feeding, clothing, helping. And so we're going to stand and be a people of God that stand. Like Nehemiah, we stand uh, and we stand for Jesus. Jesus is our saviour, he's our lord and our master, he's our brother, our friend, our captain. We stand for him. We might have struggles, but we can say, well, I want to be determined and resilient against those struggles. uh, You might be compromised at work. Well, you can be determined and resilient. Your faith might be a bit weak. Well, be determined and resilient and get it back on track. And as the church stands together, we can be a determined and resilient church, praying to God, really coming before God, being determined. He will see us through. I'm going to finish with a verse from Philippians 1.27. Whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
Stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Nehemiah had to live that out. So determination, resilience, relying on God's grace. Don't feel condemned if you're struggling in those two things. I'm coming through that, but I'm still there. He will see you through. He will see you through. Don't be condemned. Know what you believe. Maybe even today you want to stand for the first time for Christ and you could do that. You should contact us and we can lead you in a prayer and come to know Jesus, the one who can give us this confidence, this determination, this resilience. This, this, it's, doing is really important, but I just wonder if we neglect the being as well. So I do thank you for your prayers and concern, uh, but I can testify that God will reach you, even if you're in a dark place at the moment, and he will see you through. But because of our faith in Christ, because of the power of God that works within us, we can face the future with confidence. I look forward uh, to seeing you all again. We will one day. Uh, And in the meantime, be blessed. Uh, Know the presence of God. Have a good read of Nehemiah. See how many times he went back in prayer. His troubles didn't end. They carried on. I'm going to pray for you now. And uh, with that comes uh, much love from myself, Andrea, Kaylee and Harry, and we've been very grateful for all of you, so God bless you. Father, we thank you again for your word, and we thank you for these passages in Nehemiah that that show determination and resilience against much, much resistance, criticism, mockery. And I pray, Lord, that we'll know those times when when you've convinced us, you've you've spoken to us, um, you've had feelings rise up in us where there's a a job to be done, a role to be filled. And when it seems insurmountable, I pray, Lord, that we'll stand up and say, no, no, remember our Lord, an awesome God. And we can be amazed, like Nehemiah would have been when he was sent off with more than he asked for to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, so we can be amazed at the things you could do in our lives. Help us to continue to be the salt and light to those around us. And I pray for all of us in this time of of um, as we come out of lockdown, uh, as we begin to see more people again, we pray ahead for when we can meet as a fellowship again. But in the meantime, I pray, Lord, that we'd know we're all connected because we share you as our Father and Jesus as our brother, and we have the one Spirit dwelling within us. So bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen.